Now may we turn to this passage in Hebrews 13. I don't believe that I've ever preached a sermon on this text, but uh, when I went in North Ireland with Eon Paisley up to dedicate one of his new churches, I heard him preach on it, and he preached a great sermon that night to a place that didn't even have standing room in it. And he was saying, verse 13, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And I thought of this text particularly in regard to all that's happened in Korea and our endeavor now to be a great help to our beloved brethren in that part of the world. But what you have here is a clear reference to the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified outside the wall of Jerusalem, outside the gate. The people who should have received him wouldn't have it. They rejected him. The people who should have honored him and owned him and recognized him and crowned him and rejoiced in him would have nothing to do with it. And all that had been predicted and promised concerning a Messiah to be the Savior of Israel was rejected. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They received him not. And the great cry of the respected and honored and reputable religious authorities of his day, the political and religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, cried, Crucify him! Crucify him! Away with him! Away with him! And they took him outside the gate. And there... They sought to destroy the Son of God. And the whole impact of this passage in Hebrews, the author is telling the Christians of the first century that if you are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to go without the camp too. You're going to have to leave the synagogues and go out here in this disreputable company of these terrible people. If you are going to follow Christ, you must forsake the temple of Apollos and Zeus, Jupiter. Jupiter. You must forsake the camps that have been established. You must forsake the religious communities that have won respectability and have received recognition and have the goodwill of the public. You must go without the camp. Jesus went without the camp. All who became Christians in the first century went without the camp. And without that camp, there's a cross. Without that camp, there's an empty tomb. Without that camp, there's a Mount of Olives 
Without that camp, there's a risen, reigning, living Christ. He's left the camp. He's left it. He's outside of it. And now the great appeal of the scripture is that you get out of the camp too. Don't stay in the camp that's crucified him. Don't stay with the crowd that's rejected him. Don't stay with the company that has another God. Don't stay with that particular camp, whatever its name, whatever its recognition, whatever its doctrine, which rejects the Lamb of God or casts despite upon him. Now that's what that passage means. Without the camp. Now when you talk about his reproach, what consists, what does this reproach consist of? Well, in the day of our Lord, it was a terrible, terrible reproach to confess this one who was disgracefully disposed of by an ignominious and shameful end. He was crucified. And to identify yourself with this hated, despised, spat upon, itinerant preacher who went about carrying on a campaign against the leaders of his day. He had no friends. He had little of nothing. He just simply cried out against all these established authorities. And to identify yourself with Jesus was a terrible, terrible reproach. And when you think how the Christian movement came just out of nothing, it rose up really out just a few little disciples and then they began to preach. And they had nobody with them. Everybody was inside the camp. Everybody was in favor of preserving the camp. Everybody wanted to maintain the status quo. And here these men began to preach. The Spirit of God fell upon them with power. They spake with tongues. Men began to get converted and they turned away from the camp and they went without that camp to identify themselves with Jesus Christ. And the first thing that I want to say to everybody listening to me, the first thing you need to do on this earth is to identify yourself with the crucified Christ on Calvary. We are to identify ourselves with him. Oh, the scandal of preaching that somehow the blood that was shed and dripped from his side, the blood which was exposed upon that cross, that somehow or other this unintellectual, that somehow or other this unphilosophical, that somehow or other this unknown idea that a man's blood would forgive the sins of all sinners. What a reproach and what a scandal. And yet it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching this gospel. And beloved, I want you people to know that you're not saved by the wisdom of man. When the wisdom, when the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God 
by just the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And that's why I think this young couple that joined my church in giving out tracts, giving out tracts, let's give out tracts, let's testify to others. We know not where that seed is going to land on some fallow ground and the Holy Spirit will use it to bring conviction and somebody will be born into the kingdom of God. Beloved, you have to be born again. You have to become a new creature. You have to be made completely over and turned upside down and inside out and your whole direction and purpose in life must be changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the camp, without the camp, and you must bear this reproach, the reproach of the blood. And oh, today I'm so concerned about all these people who think that by intellectual argument you'll be able to somehow or other convert somebody. Well, I believe in intellectual argument and I believe in the apologetic and I believe in answering the atheist and I believe in all that the scriptures has told us about being able to give an answer to any who ask you for the faith that's in you. But, beloved, the only thing that will save any sinner's soul is a conviction that he is a sinner and that Christ alone is the Savior who can pardon his iniquity and give unto him the treasure of everlasting life. And beloved, without the camp, you bear these reproaches of foolishness. You bear these reproaches of foolishness. How in the world can a people gather together as we're gathering tonight to hear a man preach out of a book? How in the world can you gather tonight and hear a man get up and tell you that he has a message that has the fire and the power of God in the message alone? And if you'll believe that message, then you'll become a child of God and you'll receive the gift and the treasure of everlasting life. It's quite a scandal. It's quite an offense. It's quite unusual. Now will you look a little further? For here we have no continuing city. Beloved, I was down at Miami and I heard this Harvey Cox who wrote the book now that's supposed to be commanding the thought in all our seminaries called the secular city. And he wants to build a world society and a world state and we're going to just fix this old world up nice but it's going to be a secular world that we're helping to outline and to ordain and establish. Beloved, we are not here seeking a continuing city. There isn't any city that man ever built that can't resist the powers of destruction and the crumbling forces that abide in this world of death and sin. It's impossible. But he says we seek one to come. We seek one to come. And beloved, I'm here tonight to tell you that there is a city which hath foundations. The builder of that city and the designer of that city and the maker of that city is God. 
It is the holy city, the new Jerusalem that abideth in the heavens. And there will come a day in that great final period when God Almighty is fully and completely triumphed, when the heavens will open and that great holy city will descend from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And we shall behold the city of our God. We seek one to come. We're interested in being a part of that city in helping people. People to look to that city and beloved this old earth in which you and I live has absolutely nothing in it or nothing on it that can satisfy the soul of a man. The only thing that can satisfy the soul of a man is God, the almighty God. The God who's given us his son in Jesus Christ. And you can't have satisfaction and you can't have peace until you come into the fellowship of the living and the true God. And that fellowship is only in Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And as we go out these nights and Christmas is coming and I think of our orphans in Korea. And oh how you love them and our eyes are lifted up into the heavens and the angels can and they sang it was no myth it was no fairy tale there were real angels there and there were real shepherds there and there was a real babe in the manger and there was a real virgin and her name was Mary and how we honor the mother of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and we go out and what was the message unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord Well, the Vice President of the United States spoke to the National Council of Churches on Wednesday night. And I was down there. Had to leave before he finished, but I got his speech here. And these are the gentlemen that are trying to build a continuing city. They've got a job on their hands. And the Vice President made a speech and he started out by saying that we must uh, go beyond the recognition to march under another banner, the one that reads community. And when he finishes his speech, I believe it is thus that all men one day may march proudly under the banner of community. And he defines this community as being an international community that we're all going to help bring into being. And he's thinking of a paradise on earth that apparently the politicians, with the help of the churchmen, are going to successfully negotiate. But may I just read you from his speech, ladies and This is before the National Council of Churches, the great vice president of our republic. And he comes along here and he says, I have learned from my old friend Reinhold Niebuhr. Well, of course, he's a socialist and a modernist. That a more equal justice is a sort of stand-in, a local representative in the area of politics for the higher idea of Christian love. So to have Christian love, you've got to follow Reinhold Niebuhr's socialistic program for equal justice, which is a stand-in. Now notice this. The hardest field, of course, is international politics. And then he says, I'm sure that members of this conference would disagree about the way we should exercise our responsibility to work for a worldwide community, but we all must agree that we must work for it. 
And then he comes down and he says that we have some trouble. We have come right now to a very important moment in our effort. Our effort, politicians and church leaders. It is a moment of change, of decision, of danger. The question is, will the forward movement of the 1960s continue? The forward movement of the 1960s continue. When I ask that question, I do not have in mind the results of the past election, nor, do, nor am I predicting what a new Congress will do. I have in mind something deeper, the mood and purpose of the American people. What has brought about the remarkable outpouring of progressive social legislation in the years just past? I would want to see due credit given to our political institutions. But the roots lie deeper. One of the most important roots is the work of, in the work of this organization is of its, one of its predecessors, the Federal Council, and of all the member churches shaping the social conscience of America for more than half a century. To read through the famous old social creed of the churches, that the Federal Council took over from the Methodist is to see how visionary and ahead of its time that document was, and a good deal of it is yet to be achieved. The point is, you have been preparing the way a long time. Well, I say they have. You passed a resolution endorsing an anti-poverty program two years before we enacted it in Washington. Churchmen have been writing about the moral outrage of abject poverty in the midst of fabulous riches for much, longer, for much longer than that. And there is a more direct role of the churches in the recent recovery of social idealism than the writing of books and the passing of resolutions. You have preached, lobbied, marched, carried out bold and difficult programs from Mississippi Delta, Chicago to Chicago from Watts to Roxbury. That's the vice president speaking to the National Council of Churches. They're trying to build a secular city. A secular city. The vice president interspersed the word. He said that I am here to ask your help. And he wants the churches to help them save uh, whatever there is uh, in the social legislation. They say the mood of the country is changing and he wants the churches to help them. They've helped them produce what we have and now they want to help them protect it so that this reactionary mood won't undo any of it and take it away from the people. Vice President speaking to the most powerful religious body in this country. And as I stand here tonight in this pulpit, ladies and gentlemen, and I read this passage here in Hebrews, we seek no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And here's a great council lowering its whole standards, its whole level. And it's coming down here to talk about a new evangelism which goes into social action. And we're going to work with the political leaders. And we're going to have a wonderful, great world community. And we'll walk under the banner of community. No, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to walk under the banner of the cross of Christ with its blood that cleanses. 
And that's the only banner that the church ought to offer to the politicians and to the educators and to anybody that has anything to do with this life on this earth. If the church doesn't have a message of heaven, it can't help anybody down here either. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, if he's just a social leader, if he's just a reformer, then we are of all men to be pitied. And we're most miserable. No, beloved, we've got to go without the camp. It's without the camp. It's not the great camp of the community. It's without the camp. And as we move down into these last years of which you and I are a part and we look out across this world stage and we see it all so beautifully put together and we see the dreamers trying to work out this great world society that they think they're going to establish. And then I go to Korea. And here they are leaving, 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 getting out of the apostasy, getting out of the world council, go down to India, and here they are leaving, 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 getting out of the apostasy, getting out of this ecumenical program. Here I go to Africa, here they are leaving, 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 getting out of the thing. And here they're leaving here, and they're leaving there, and they're leaving somewhere else. And I wish they'd get started in leaving in this country too like they ought to. And we'd see the remnants of God's people standing upon this great message without the camp. We'll bear his reproach. We'll abide by his blessed message of redemption and we'll win men and we'll separate them and bring them out without the camp. And oh, I want you people to remember now that some great changes are taking place. Evangelist Billy Graham was the second great speaker and he went back into the National Council of Churches and he made these great preachers praising him and he said now we must have two conversions. Dr. Graham's got two conversions now. One when we're converted to Christ and the next one we go back to the world. We're converted to the world. He's giving them the endorsement they'd like to have for this so-called social program that they're all out trying to implement by these various political actions. And beloved, the lines are being reorganized in this country. The political leaders and the religious leaders joining their hands out here and then the folks without the camp. And you're not going to have much of a middle group left in this country anymore. There's not going to be much of a middle group left as these things are coming down in these last days. And it's without the camp. It's without the fellowship with the modernist. It's without the communion with the Bishop Pikes. It's without this thing, without the camp. And we're going to bear his reproach. And so it is tonight I feel such a tremendous responsibility for those who are without the camp. We're the campers out. Or we're the campers out. That's right. We, we, we've left. We've gone out without the camp. And when I go over to Korea, and tonight I was in with some of our children, some of our young people, installing their offices, and I got to talking about the little Korean orphans. And here they were, 9, 10, 11 years of age, just like the ones over there. And I've just come from that land of Korea, and I love that land because of these people in their poverty and their suffering. And here were our little girls, there were little boys over here, our boy. Nice tie on, nice clean shirt. Little boy even had a, had a handkerchief in his lapel. He really looked nice. There was a nice little girl over here, and her hair was just nice and fluffy and clean. And nice pretty little dress on. It was a beautiful dress. I looked at it. 
Here's another little girl over here. She had a nice little lace around her collar. She just picked up nice. I, I, if I were a little boy, I'd really like her. And I looked at these little girls and looked at these little boys. And then they asked me, Dr. McIntyre, what games do they play over there? What gifts do they get at Christmas time over there? Dr. McIntyre, what do they do when some little child has a birthday? It's in the orphanage. And does anybody have a bicycle? And then somebody want to know if anybody had a gun. I told them, no, they don't carry guns in Korea, not when they're little. And they began to ask me all these little questions. And I looked at their eyes, and I just said, here I'd seen these little Korean orphans, and here we are. They don't have any nice suits, little ties on. They, don't have, they just hang it up on the rack. They sleep on the floor. It only costs $10 a month to take care of. Of course, I guess it's nice to live in Korea because you only have one pair of shoes to wear. You don't have to worry about the others. Some of you little boys and girls have got so many shoes in the closet, you don't know which pair to wear. But just one little pair of rubber shoes, that's all. That's all they've got. A little pair of pants, they've been patched up. Little girls, they go out and get a little pan of water and they wash their own clothes. I asked the little boy tonight, I said, son, how long has it been since you washed your shirt? He said, yesterday. I said, you washed your shirt? Oh, no, mama did, he said. Now, you've got a mama that does these things for you. You've got a papa that does these things for you. You've got a daddy that does these things for us. Now, our little girls have nice, comfortable little beds and nice, pretty wallpaper on the floor, on the room. Nice little sofa to sit in. They got a room full of dogs. And they got a closet full of a lot of things. We've got everything in the world. And those little young people were talking to me tonight. And they asked me this and they asked me that. And I said, oh, young people, if you could only know. One little girl wanted to know if they celebrated Washington's birthday over there. And I said, no, they don't celebrate Washington's birthday. They celebrate their... The only place in the world where they celebrate Washington's birthday is in this country. This is the only place they ever do that. But no, they celebrate the birthday of their republic over there and the time they were liberated from Japanese enslavement. Have we ever lived under a foreign power? Have we ever been enslaved? Have we ever been a people that were oppressed? Did we ever have to pay tribute to any government? We've never known anything like that. We've been a free people. But the Japanese had them under their hands. They put their preachers in prison because they wouldn't buy down to the shrine worship. Beloved, we've lived in a paradise. We've lived in a land of abundance. We've lived in a land that's had preachers who went out and preached the gospel to the people and men were saved and they cleaned up their lives and they cleaned up their homes and they cleaned up their churches and we've been a great people of faith. Without the camp. And it's our business to look to those people that are without the camp and give them our hands, and give them our fellowship and beloved. When I think tonight that we've moved up to $300,000. Where in the world is $300,000 ever coming from? Where in the world would it ever come from? 
And yet I sit on a microphone, I talk morning after morning, and this week I'm going to read these letters, and this week I'm going to make an appeal, and somehow, somewhere, the Spirit of God touches the hearts of women and boys and young men, say, I was in Korea, my son was in Korea, I want to be a missionary. Somehow or other, their hearts are touched as the Word gets through to them, and then they just give, and it comes out of a spirit of love for Christ, a word of the undertaking in His name. You know, the World Council of Church, the National Council there was emphasizing the great thing they're doing is church world service, their great relief program. So I began to look it over and find out they boasting of all the millions that they had. And so I got busy and, you know, uh, last year, they uh, collected $32,865,378 for their relief activities. But the joker of it all is that of that $32 million, All but five million ninety thousand came from the United States government. There it is. Only five million ninety thousand out of thirty-two million came from sources other than the United States government, which was turned over to them. All they received from their denominations and related organizations was 2,837,000. From individuals, 357,578. Well, I'm asking for 357,000. But here, 32 minus 5 would be 28 million from the United States government. And ocean freight refunds, 4,500,000. Cuban refugee settlement fee, U.S. government, 97,000. And then they have uh, the Foods for Peace program valued at 15,300,000. And other supplies provided by the government, 7 million. And then I began to look where they put it all. And I began to make a study of it, and I discovered over here that of all this, in the European uh, Middle East theater, they gave of the total five million they have here, they gave over three million of it to communist countries. And then I read the one on Poland, and they gave to communist Poland 1,800,000, almost 2 million. Here's Yugoslavia and others. But let me read you what they say about their work in, in, in Poland. Now here's all this church world service, all that. In Poland, our program serves many of the member churches of the Polish Ecumenical Council, particularly through their institutions and schools, helping children, the aged and sick. This is done 
as a part of the total government institutional arrangement. Distribution is thus through government channels. What kind of a government do they have in Poland? This distribution is through government channels while benefiting the churches particularly. Food and clothing contributed by church sources are distributed as well as surplus foods from USPL 480 supplies. One of the important results of this work in Poland is the inter-church confidence that is being built up by it. The direct and friendly relationship between our representatives and the Polish Ecumenical Council has created a rather unusual atmosphere between American churches and the churches of this country of the Soviet bloc. Here it is. A million eight hundred thousand turned over to the communist government of Poland. The United States government gives it to the National Council of Churches. The National Council of Churches, through Church World Service, gives it to the communist government of Poland. And then it's funneled back down through the government into these areas. And this has created a wonderful ecumenical spirit between the churches in, of, of, of communist Poland and the churches of the National Council in the United States. Oh, it's tragic beyond words. The American people don't know it. But here I come along. This is within the camp, within the camp, within the camp. They have their hand in the public till in Washington, D.C. for millions and millions of dollars. And frankly, beloved, I wish we could stop it and break it. I hope we can do it. But here we come along without the camp, our little orphans. We don't give anything to anybody's government anywhere, much less a communist government. We're not channeling anything to anybody's government. We're taking it out of the hands of Christians who love one another outside the camp, and we're giving it to little orphans who are outside the camp, and we're giving it to these little separated groups outside the camp. And when you go down into South India, beloved, last January, 80 to 90,000 or 100,000 of the poorest people on this earth walked outside the camp. They walked outside the camp. And these are the people that we're trying to help at this time. And oh, pray God tonight as we think about outside the camp. You know why I'm happy to be outside the camp? Because that's where Jesus is. Outside the city wall, the dear Lord was crucified. We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear. But we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. This is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And beloved, we're without this camp tonight. Let's stay without the camp. Let's rejoice in the liberty that there is on the outside of the camp. And let's then gather the people of God together from every section of this world tonight and be what we ought to be with all the reproaches of Christ. If they spit upon him, they'll spit upon you. If they hated him, they'll hate you. If they scoffed at him, they'll scoff at you. The servant is not above his master. And we're outside the camp where we belong and where we're going to stay in this great ministry to the gospel and to the word and to the power of the Spirit of God in these last days. Oh, this morning I preached that sermon on these young people. Where are my young people tonight? Did you come tonight? You know what my text is tonight?
How many of you got your Bible? Let's see your hand. Uh-huh. 99%. Yes, missed one. Son, do you have a Bible? You got your Bible? I'm sorry. How many of you people got your Bibles tonight? Let's see. Don't hold up a hymn book. Oh, that's right. You're all here. You bring your Bible. And you mothers and your fathers here tonight, you got children. They're old enough to sit up and take medicine. You bring them here and let them sit. That's right. They ought to be here on Sunday nights. And don't you give any excuses. Your children ought to be home looking at some television show tonight. They ought to be lolling around in the living room and say, I don't want to go to bed. Quit pampering them. Quit playing with them. Give them some good order and some discipline. And when the house is open, the house of God is open, you ought to be right here with all the rest of us to hear the preacher preach the message of the gospel and to read the word of God. Time is too short. The pressures upon us are too great. The struggle we're in is too pressing. And you people who have children and are in this immediate area where you can come, you bring them to the church services on Sunday night. And you bring them to the prayer meeting services on Wednesday night. And let's teach them how to pray. And let them hear how we pray. And let them into the spirit of this marvelous fellowship of ours. And I ask every one of my children and every one of our little ones to pray for the orphans of Korea. And these that we're trying to help throughout the whole Christian world with our $300,000 Christmas offering. You know, it's wonderful when they're thrown without the camp. They say, let them starve. Let them alone, they'll come back. And our Savior said, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord, he'll pick me up. And it's the most wonderful thing, as I felt it now. Oh, beloved, it's just marvelous to be in the position we're in tonight, to go to Korea and to have these dear people look to you and thank God for you. And how these dear people say that the Lord is hearing their prayers. And then you say, well, here, I'm an instrument for the answer to prayer. No, beloved, you're an instrument to help those who are without the camp. You're an instrument of God to move in, in the place where God has promised to care for his own. And heaven is here. It's so real. We're not after a continuing city. We're not interested in a secular city. We're interested in a holy city. And we want men to come to that city and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then to become the great workers and the great witnesses and the great soldiers of the cross here in these last days. That's what we're asking for and that's what we want of the people of God. This Christmas ought to be our greatest Christmas of all the Christmases we've ever had because we've given more. We've given more to the cause of those who were without the camp. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee tonight. And when we see all these terrible things taking place, that outside the camp, there is always room that outside the wall there's always a place for one more that outside the gate there's a hiding place and we thank thee for that cross which redeemed us 
for that empty tomb which justifies, that resurrection from the grave of the Lamb of God. And, O Heavenly Father, tonight look down upon us in thy mercy and help us. O Lord, help us from the politicians. Help us from the ecclesiastics. Help us from the community and from the camp. Lord, help us to be free men, identified with Christ, identified with his reproaches, bearing his reproaches, not being ashamed of the gospel being militant in our defense of the faith, being zealous in the zeal that we have from God in distributing our tracts and in winning the lost. Father, may we be concerned about the lost and teach us to win some soul to Christ this Christmas season. For Christ's sake, amen. Now, if you give me the address of the Masikas, I'll announce it for you. Somebody will bring it up. Let's sing this closing hymn. Good carol for us now. Hymn number 44. That's a good one. Silent night, holy night, round John, virgin, mother and crowd. Whenever that thing's sung, anywhere you think, well, that the pastor thinks about that. Just think of me. Whenever you hear it, round John, virgin, mother and child. That's what I'm thinking about. It's marvelous. All right, let's stand and sing.
going to give an invitation tonight. The gospel's been in our ears. The message of salvation has been in our hearts. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, tonight, if there's a single soul here that wants to be born into thy kingdom, give them faith, Lord, that in the presence of this power which delivers and which saves, Lord, save the unsaved in this place tonight. This is our prayer. Now, while our heads are bowed, if there's anyone here who says, Yes, Dr. McIntyre, that prayer was just for me. And here I am, Lord, I come to thee. I accept Christ as my personal Savior, and I believe he died for my sins. Will you say that and lift your hand? Will you say that and lift your hand? Oh, this message is the message of power here tonight. Will you say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, and I trust you? Will you lift your hand? Anyone? Anyone here tonight? Anyone here tonight? All right, let's sing the last verse quietly as we finish the service. Mr. Masika's address is 129 East Palmer. And Palmer's way down this way. 129 East Palmer. And they're going to have a carol sing there tonight from anybody between 20 and 30. I'd like to go. All right, let's sing the last verse. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be upon us this week. For Christ's sake, amen.